Colossians chapter 2, we'll read verse 5, where Paul's speaking to those saints there, and he says, For though I am absent in the flesh, he wasn't there with them in Colossae, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our thoughts tonight. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, for your provisions for us in the Word and in time of fellowship and brotherhood, Lord, in Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this Word that we've gathered together to hear tonight. And Father, we pray that we would honor you with it, Lord. Help us to bear out our testimony, Lord, and be willing to see the testimony in one another and those that we might encounter, Lord, as we carry on throughout each day. Help us always be willing to see... God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, present in his people. Father, help us to open our eyes and our hearts to that truth. Bless this word to us tonight, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we spend a lot of time considering uh, the importance of testimony. Uh, Certainly that even when we don't have testimony services, uh, the understanding is as a good believer that you do bear out the Lord Jesus in you. That's part of our Christian experience, ideally. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we need to bear it out. Paul goes on here in this passage here to say, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Demonstrate that uh, Jesus is there. Uh, We understand and make plain that, well, if we're children of God, the redeemed should say so, and we should bear that out in praise and worship and just a life that's lived in a righteous manner so that people can look and, and, and see. Uh, Paul says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 7, he's speaking to the young men there that Titus was given to minister to, but it speaks to everyone to a certain measure, saying in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. That's what we're called to do, showing ourselves to be a pattern, to have followed the pattern that is the Lord Jesus. Matthew 5 verse 16, Jesus himself said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And it's with a purpose, isn't it? glorify your Father in heaven. It's important that we bear witness. It's important that we bear testimony, that we live a life that reflects, that we are walking in a manner that's, that's consistent, consistent with that of a Christian walk, showing evidence of our faith, showing evidence of Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, bearing out, ideally, if you have that joy and peace, bearing out the joy and peace that comes with being a child of God, that others might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, when we do this, when we bear out Christ in us, the hope of glory, in a very kind of heady way, and I don't want to be confusing by any means here, but in kind of a heady way, where when we bear out Christ, we are living like he did. We're an example of him, the way that he bore out Christ. That sounds kind of weird that he bore out himself, but... That's what we're doing when you consider that he bore out a testimony. Uh, Tonight's thought is not just to bear out a testimony, not just to demonstrate Jesus in us, but as we're doing so, recognizing that part of bearing out Christ in us, part of showing testimony, is the willingness to see testimony in others, the willingness to see Christ in them, the hope of glory, Christ in that one, the hope of glory, recognizing Jesus is in that one. That can take a lot of different forms when you consider it. It's not just saying, wow, what a demonstration of faithfulness. I hope that you have those ones in your life that you look at and say, in a certain way, I kind of aspire to be like this one. What a faithful one this one is. I hope that you have those ones in your life. 
But there is a measure of testimony within you, a measure of godliness in you when you recognize someone who isn't perhaps putting their best foot forward and you recognize Jesus is working in that one. Jesus is within that one and there is a light present in this one. Certainly we don't want to be judgmental, but we do judge. Certainly we don't want to cast judgment on somebody, but we do identify and we want to recognize Jesus where he's working. Back in our text passage there, Paul desired to rejoice. He desired to see Christ in others. Rejoicing to see those in those ones in Colossae. Their good order and the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. He wanted to observe Jesus in other people. He wanted to see the work that he was doing. He praised the Lord for his work. For the testimony that was there in those ones in Colossae. He rejoiced in that when other ones let their light shine even if it wasn't perhaps to the measure that it should shine. Uh, We want to be able to see the good works in others and glorify our Father in heaven. Now, that is not just a compliment when he says, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. It's not just a compliment to the Colossians. I believe, and he's not saying this here, I believe it's a testament to Paul's faith, that he was willing to look in the... Well, in the core of those people there, not every one of them was perfect, and not every piece of news that he got out of Colossae was fantastic, happy news, I imagine. There were issues and struggles that were there. But in his willingness to be gracious, he was willing to look through, not look past or not to excuse or or dismiss the problems that were there. We recognize as he speaks to Corinth and he speaks to other ones, he didn't dismiss issues. He didn't act like they weren't there, but he did recognize Christ in that flawed, imperfect person and assembly and gathering of God's people. And that's a godly thing. That is a Christ-like thing to do. We know that because that's what Jesus did. We understand. I put myself in, when I'm studying the Word and when I'm studying individuals, Jesus among those individuals that I study and that you do as well, I try to put myself in their position. Now, putting yourself in the position and in the situation of the Son of God is a little bit difficult, right? But I do. I try to put myself in his position to the measure that I can. And so this is what I think when Jesus was walking this earth. You understand he was perfect. And we understand that he met with all of the testings that we meet with, with all the temptations that we meet with, and yet he sinned not. He didn't have those, well, those fallings that failings that we have he didn't have those things he didn't sin in his mind he didn't get discouraged he didn't get depressed he didn't step out in in sin he didn't do those things and so this perfect one that he was as he walked in this earth every last person that he met was imperfect every last one that he met didn't meet the standard that jesus is now we can be real haughty with ourselves, if we walk amongst the world and we say, mm, not a believer, and not a believer, and plainly, you're not a believer. That's not what I'm saying that we should do. But you understand that Jesus, if anyone had the justification of doing that, every last person that he met did not meet the standard that he had. And if anyone was justified in being hypercritical, extra critical of anybody and everybody, it was the Lord Jesus without question. And so when he walked this earth, wherever he went, he had the justification to say, you're a dirtbag, you're a dirtbag, so on and so forth. 
And you understand, as you've read the life of Jesus, that he didn't do that. That wasn't who he was. It wasn't what he did. So if anyone looked to see Christ in you, the hope of glory, interestingly enough, it was Jesus Christ himself, willing to see his light within other people, when no one else was more justified to dismiss that. I find that, well, I find it remarkable. I find it impressive, particularly because... I understand the discouragement that I can feel when others are discouraged. And I understand, well, you know, when you're around someone who's down, you tend to, in the natural, maybe get brought down with them, right? When someone else is scared, perhaps you tend to be scared. When someone else is, well, let me just say it this way. Every time that Jesus heard someone say something off color, they were certainly not meeting the standard he did. Every time someone was discouraged, he was in the presence of someone doing something despairing when he did not feel that. and Man, in my own mind, I would imagine that that would be naturally very burdensome, right? Burdensome. And Jesus bore that burden. Every time somebody sniped at somebody else and said a rude crossword without having the justification of doing so, and even when you're justified being rude and just, ah, just being mean because you're frustrated, that's what Jesus had to partake in. Not He didn't partake in those words, but he, well, he was witness to that, privy to that, in everyone that surrounded him. And again, that might be kind of burdensome. Yet, he saw his light in those ones who believed, and he saw the potential for light in those ones who didn't. And he didn't hate them, he didn't snipe at them. Uh, he ate with the sinner, we understand. He taught the wayward, he preached to them. He spoke to the adulteress and said, go and sin no more. I mean, if anyone had justification in the moment to just cast judgment, Jesus certainly did. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He understood who he was. And that's what he preached to people. No one comes to the Father except through me. So come to me, he said, to all of them. Come to me so that you can go to the Father through me. Jesus cared for people. And that might sound awfully corny. It might sound awfully hallmark. It might sound awfully, you know, just simpering. It's not. Jesus cared for people. And the one that was most justified to be hypercritical of everyone and anybody cared and looked through and saw the light that was there. I could take you to John 2. And spend some time there, but I'll just say it in passing. We understand that not everything that Jesus did was exceptionally tender, and he drove the money changers out, didn't he? He went and he fashioned a cord of whips, whap, 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 went, overturned tables, sent them on their merry way. You're telling me that Jesus cared for those ones? Absolutely I am. Absolutely I'm telling you he cared for those ones. The disciples, it says in verse 17, they remembered that he said, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, yes, he said, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. I like that that word merchandise is in the Greek, I think it's emporion, very much like an emporium, you know, like here's, you know, Big Bob's used car emporium, you know what I'm saying? That's what they were, he was saying, don't make the house of God that. But I don't think he was just talking about the temple, not just the house, the building that we talked about pillars of here recently. I think he was talking about the household of faith. You're cheapening and you're reckoning the house of God. That's what he had zeal for. His, the zeal for the family. And that house word in both Hebrew and in Greek, oftentimes it's used in regards to family and relationship. And Jesus is saying, well, they were saying that zeal 
Zeal for your house, zeal for your family has eaten me up. If you look in Psalm 69 where that is drawn from, where they were thinking about, it's not talking about the temple. It's talking about people. And zeal for his people did eat up Jesus. And when he turned the money changers' tables and cast them out, I believe he had their best interest in mind as well as everybody else's who would study that. It wasn't just that building. It wasn't just that place where they were gathering. That place had shown dishonor to Jehovah for some time. He was worried about the household of faith and the family of faith. Jesus always had the good of mankind at heart, and he still does. Always looked to see the light of the Lord present, and he still does. And he looks for opportunity to feed that light and to brighten that light and encourage that bushel to come off and that light to shine. And so I say, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we do that? Not go affirming, not going and high-fiving for people's sins and that sort of thing. Not saying, ah, oh, forget all this, you're a child of God. It doesn't matter what you do. That's not what it says, and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what, well, I think the word makes clear. We bear out Christ in us, the hope of glory, and if we're going to bear out Christ, we need to do as Christ does. Not hate, not not certainly, again, not excuse and that sort of thing, but to be ready to look and see the light that is there. And as God gives us the leading, as He directs us by His Spirit, if we can fan the flame, as it were, of that light and stir one another up to love and good works, by golly, we should do that if we're going to act like the Lord Jesus. For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, our passage said, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. We should be quick to look for Christ in others, the hope of glory. It's part of our testimony. In bearing him out is to make the effort to recognize that testimony in others and to identify it and to rejoice. Well, rejoice with the Lord in what he is doing in different ones. Perhaps they're not where they need to be, but perhaps they're also not where they're going to be. And if we can have a part in that, even if it's simply by recognizing and praying for that one and bearing out our testimony to them, then celebrate your opportunity to do so. Rejoice in what the Lord is doing in individuals, child of God. And that's where we're going to stop tonight.